0: 2 Samuel chapter 6. For 60 to 70 years, the Ark of Israel has been 20 kilometers to the northwest of Jerusalem. Something like from here to the old Mikado, in Genere. It's been there for 60 to 70 years. In 1 Samuel 4, you may recall, we studied this back in May, that the Jews thought that the Ark of God was a fetish, like voodoo. They thought if they bring the Ark of God as they go on a battle, they will win. African traditional religion is not really African, it's worldwide. Possibly the most ancient religion outside of the worship of Jehovah. Where Adam and Eve worshipped Jehovah before sin. African traditional religion is found in South America. But there it's called animism. Buddhism is another form of African traditional religion. Shintaoism in Japan is another form. And what all of those religions have in common... Is that physical objects on this earth can help you, or physical actions that you do can help you get in touch with spiritual powers? And the Israelites thought that. They thought if we carry this box, then we will win the war. If the box is nearby us, we have to win. It's a form of fetish. It's a kind of voodoo. It's spiritism or animism or here in this continent and in our, con- in our context, we will call it African traditional religion. The Jews fell to that thinking. So rather than repent and humble themselves in 1 Samuel chapter 4, they carried the ark out to battle with them. They were crushed. The Philistines took the ark. They came in singing, We've got the ark of God. But as soon as they brought it into one of their cities, God began punishing them for dishonoring his presence. Because even though touching the ark might not help you win, touching the ark and dishonoring it can help you lose. It works negatively, but not positively. So the Philistines moved the Ark to three different cities in fear of how God had punished them. Finally, we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 7 that they sent the Ark back to the Israelites. But even there, the Jews, still enamored with their fetishism, with their animism, with their spiritism with, if I can call it this, so now in the context you can understand, with their form of African traditional religion. They opened the ark and looked inside, and 30,000 people died. And that's what prompted them to say, who can stand before this holy Lord God? We had misunderstood Him. We had thought. That he was a god like, like all the gods. We had thought that you, men are here and the king is here and God is here. We didn't understand that men are here and God is higher than the highest star. We didn't think that way about him. And so the ark has stayed for 60 to 70 years in the house of a man named Abinadab. And the house of Abinadab was blessed. Abinadab had sons. Two of them were named Uzzah and Ahio. And today we will hear their story. There are two points to the sermon this morning. Verses 1 to 5 is the first point. And verses 6 to 11 is the second. Verses 1 to 5 show us Israel bringing back the ark. Verses 6 to 11 show us Uzzah's death. With this simple story, I want you to understand something of the glory of God. And my hope is that at the end of the service, it would be difficult for us to talk about things other than the glory of God. If the whole congregation were afraid of God, that would be a good response to the sermon. Not the only response. There are numerous responses and ways we can respond to this passage. Because the main point of this passage is simply this. Here's the main point. Are you ready? Here's the thesis or the main point of the whole passage man's good works cannot change God's justice. Did you hear that? Let's everyone catch that. I'll say it in a different way. When you do good things, when you go to church, when you pray, when you give money, when you do good things, when you are baptized, when you join the church, when you do Bible studies, when you do good things, all of those good things, all that you have and all that I have, and let's go, let's go with our bucky, and let's collect all the good things from you and your brother and your uncle and your friend. Let's go to a family reunion with a big lorry and let's pour all of the good works into that lorry. Let's get a, 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 a cavalcade of cars flowing down the N1, lorries filled with all of the goodness of all of the people on your street and in your town. And in your province. And all 52 million people that live in South Africa. And then let's stretch out and get all the goodness of all over Africa. And let's pile it all up on a mountain of goodness. And all of that goodness, if it were put in the scales, would not move the scales of God's justice even a hair. That's the point of the sermon. Let's see it in the passage. Chapter 6, verse 1. Amazing. Amazing. Don't pass over this. David gathered how many people? He he gathered thirty thousand people. Mrs. Thomas, can you read that Bible? Can you see it? It's very small. Who needs a larger print Bible here? Use one of these. Yeah, let's just use this, right? Amen. Chapter six, verse one. He gathers thirty thousand men. Have you ever been in the presence of 30,000 people? Have you ever been at a stadium that was filled? Maybe you were in the presence of 30,000. And in the 2011 census, 33,000 people lived in this town in 2011. 33,000 people. Can you imagine if every single person, every man, woman, and child in the retreat cart was all Gathered together at the same time. Maybe you'll see that on the 21st of November when the new mall opens. Imagine if everyone was gathered together and you saw those crowds and crowds of people. How would the world look? How would would that scene look? David gathers 30,000 people. 30,000 men. Do you think the women and children sat at home while their men were off at a holiday? 2 Chronicles chapter 13 tells us the same story. And it says, many more came. So there's 30,000 in the parade. How many more are standing on the sides watching? And then notice what they do. Not only are there all these people, but they are going to get the ark of God in verse 2. They're going to get the ark of God... Whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts. Whenever man must deal with God. He is in danger because of God's glory. God's glory is infinite. And do you notice even the ark. It's always called or almost always called the ark of God. We saw that back in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's called the Ark of God. Over and over here, it's called that again. The Ark of God. Why? So that you will know it's called by the name of Jehovah. God's dignity and his infinity are at stake. Well, in verse 3, the leaders go to the expense of building a new cart. Were there no carts in the area? Oh, there were plenty of carts. But the leaders said, watch what they said. The leaders said, get the best carpenter. Get the best wheel right. Get the strongest and the best wood. Yes, but that might be 10,000 or 20,000 Rand. No matter. We'll pay. Get the cart. Build a new cart just for this 20, but it's only going 20 Ks. Get the best. Stain it. Fasten it. Polish it. And as they're working on it, one of the carpenters maybe was working on a piece of wood. And he said, and the master carpenter checks and said, no, that one's a little rough. They said, but it's on the bottom. No one will see it. No, 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 no. God will see it clean every part. They work. And they build this cart. And they have Uzzah and Ohio. Look in verse 3. Uzzah and Ohio. The sons of Abinadab are driving the cart. Why? Because remember, how many years has the ark been in Abinadab's house? How many years? 60 to 70. Okay, I hear the kids up front. Are you guys all with me? Stay with me here. I can do you no good if you don't listen. 60 to 70 years the ark has been in Abinadab's house. That means Uzza and Ohio grew up knowing that the Ark was just there. It's right here. Oh, it's in that, it's in that place. Yeah, it's right here in our property. All the people in town knew Uzza and Ohio. And when they were 5 and 10 and 15 and 20, they knew our house is special. We have the Ark of God. And they became familiar. Have you ever seen the way a 12-year-old boy acts around his father's car or bike when his friends are nearby? The 12-year-old boy will act as if he could drive the car. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is my best. Yeah, and the other boys are standing, they're afraid to touch it. They're, oh, that's the car. And the son, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'll sit in the front seat and pretend... Why? He's so used to that car being there, and he knows his dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know this. I know this. This is how my dad it. He takes the keys. He sits the eye, and he does it just like this. Uzzah and Ohio had that kind of familiarity. Friends, there is a danger in being a pastor because my job is to handle the Bible constantly. That's my job. I handle the Word of God. And I can become so familiar with the Bible that I overlook the glory of what's inside. Aren't you the same way? You have a Bible, you come to church, you read and pray at night. It is a great blessing to be born in a Christian home. My children never know, have never known a time when they were not in a Christian home. My children have never, never known a Sunday. Not on holiday, not traveling, never. Not one time in their lives have they known a Sunday when they haven't gotten up at 6 or 6.30 to go to church. That they're going to grow up... If, if ever my son becomes 23 and goes off to college or something and then wakes up... And for some reason isn't at church on a Sunday. His whole... He's going to feel unsettled. There's a great blessing in that. And there is a great danger. Of becoming familiar with spiritual things. And treating them lightly. We have been given so many blessings. That we commonly take them for granted. Years ago, a Venda man told me in 2005, when I first got here in 2004 and I began studying Venda in 2005, I was in Chikota with him at the time and I asked him when electricity came to Chikota and he said it's only been here for about two or three years and he said you should have seen us before electricity came. Every vendor was saying, oh, we want electricity, we want it, that's all we want. And then within a few months of electricity being in Dakota, if electricity went for even two or three hours, if it was off, he said, all over Dakota, people would complain, ah, this is no fair, where's the electricity? They had forgotten that they went for years and years and years without electricity, And they didn't pay for the electricity. Well, they didn't pay for all the infrastructure. They might have paid per meter, but that's not paying for electricity. You know that, don't you? The infrastructure is millions upon millions of rands. What you pay at the meter is just the usage. That's not paying for the infrastructure. They didn't pay for the infrastructure. The infrastructure was paid by other taxpayers. And he said, how interesting that we become so familiar with even the blessing of electricity. Then after two to three months, if we don't have it for three hours, ah, ah, these people, where's our electricity? Hey, I'm the guy. We're all like that, aren't we? We become familiar with spiritual things. Well, these two men led the ark, and singers went along with them. Look in verse five. David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord. And then instruments are listed. The Hebrew text actually says, if you have a new translation, it may not have this. The Hebrew text actually says, they played before the Lord on wood of trees. The King James and the New American Standard translated it as wooden instruments because that's the only way to make sense of the Hebrew text. They played it on wood of trees, wooden instruments. The ESVs decide that that's That's not accurate, so I see some, some people looking down at their Bibles, and several of you have an ESV. If you have an ESV, it just says they sang with all their might. They're taking that from 2 Chronicles 13. But that's not the Hebrew text here. The Hebrew text says they sang with instruments of wood, which means they had to make instruments. How long does it take you to make a trumpet? How long does it take you to make a guitar? which is kind of like a lyre, a harp, or a stringed instrument, like a dulcimer, a small box with a bar and the strings connected to it. How long does it take to make those? How much money does it take? They took all that time and money. Think of what expense they they had gone to. Here's what they wanted to do. Are you with me? They wanted to walk how many kilometers? Everyone with me, 20 kilometers, right? They're going from... Here to Jerusalem. It's 20k. Check it on Google. 20 kilometers. They build a new ark. They call 30,000 people to sing and to practice musical instruments. They get all the people to watch them. Well, if you're going to have that, 20 kilometers on an ark, on a cart with cows and oxen, is going to take you all day. A long full day. Start at 7 in the morning, 6 in the morning. You're gonna be going to go until 6 or 7 or 8 at night. Which means you're going to have to have places, sanitary facilities for all those people. You're going to have to have some kind of food for the children and the weak and the elderly. You're going to have to have all kinds of things along the way. They managed all of it. It's a public holiday. David wants this to be a teaching time. This is a great party. It's joy, it's singing and dancing. They had good intentions. They devoted themselves to honoring God. But please pay attention to this. They had not been careful to obey the law of God. That's all. They had been very careful to plan a holiday. They had not been careful to obey the law of God. Verse six. Nacon's threshing floor is approximately two kilometers from Jiram. They had gone two k's, ten percent of the way, when the oxen stumble. The ark is going to fall. Uzzah is familiar. He knows the ark. He's seen it. He has good intentions. Listen to this. Uzzah is sincere. Do You know what sincere means? It's from a Greek word meaning without clay. A sincere um, statue was one that was carved so perfectly that it had no cracks. It didn't need any polyfill. It didn't need any clay to fill up the cracks. A sincere statue was one that was so perfectly carved, there were no mistakes. That's where we get our English word sincere from. David was sincere, and Uzzah was sincere, and People in this town are thinking that if they are sincere, God will accept them. Uzzah was sincere. Hey, I I really believe this. I feel passionately about this. Oh, I really love this. Oh, this is the way I am. Have you ever thought that you can be Sincerely wrong? My mother, who Lord willing will be coming to visit us in a month. We were born in America. She was born in California. And if you know the the geography, that's far on the west side. She moved across the country to the east side when she married my father. And one day my mother decided my father may agree that she was going to drive across all of America to go visit her relatives in California. It's a three-day drive. My mom got on Interstate 70. That's highway, like N1. And she turned the wrong way. She went east, so she's driving this way, like she's going to England rather than that way, like she's going to California and then Japan and China. She's supposed to go toward California and then Japan and China. She's supposed to go west. She drove east. She was listening to music, driving, having a good time. She's driving. She drove about four hours, singing, happy until she starts to see signs that tell her she's going to reach the ocean. I'm not supposed to reach the ocean for three days. You can laugh, it's okay. Was my mom sincere? Oh, absolutely sincere. There was not a crack in her intentions. Her intentions were pure. I'm going to visit my mom. I'm driving, I'm on the right side of the road, I'm doing everything, I'm driving just right. And she was 100% wrong. She could not have been more wrong. It's not possible to be more wrong than she was. Even though she was 100% sincere. Have you ever done that? Wives, have you ever done that for your husband? You thought, I'll do this to make him happy. And then before the night was over, he got angry. And you saw you to I did this to make you happy. And then Exactly opposite. I thought to myself, I'll make him happy. Then he gets angry. Husbands, have you ever done that? You did something you thought, I'm going to make my wife happy. Sincerity is not enough. It's not enough in the hospital if a doctor is sincere. You don't care if your doctor is sincere, you want him to be right. Like the man who went in to have a leg amputated. When he woke up, he said, Oh, you had a one out of two chance. You got to get the other leg. The doctor cut off the wrong leg. Sincerity is not enough, but I am afraid for you. I'm afraid for people listening to me right now that you think, Well, I'm sincere. Uzzah was sincere and what happened in verse 6 he took hold of the ark verse 7 and the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah And what did God do to Uzzah in verse 7 What did God do? Look in verse 7 tell me what did he do? He slayed him right there there was no trial there was no jury because when God is giving the verdict, he doesn't need to take any time to ponder. He's right. He doesn't need a jury. We need juries and judges. We need lawyers because we don't know and we make mistakes. God never makes mistakes. He did not make a mistake when he immediately cut down Uzza. His error was far greater than he realized. R.C. Sproul says this. Text this line. This is just brilliant. The best line in his book on holiness, R.C. Sproul says this about this exact uh, passage. Uzzah's mistake was thinking that his hand was cleaner than the dirt. Did you catch that? Uzzah thought, well, I'm not such a bad guy. I'm sincere, I've grown up with the Ark. I must be cleaner than the dirt. The the ark's going to fall in the mud. But that right there is just the problem. We are not cleaner than the dirt. At least dirt does just what God told it to do. God told the dirt to sit there and to grow grass. And it does exactly that. You'll never see dirt rebelling against God. You'll never see dirt that says, Well, you know, I think I'd like to be a cloud. You never see dirt that says, Well, it's not fair that I've been put here. Dirt does exactly what God made it to do. It's me. It's you. We're the ones who don't do what God told us to do. Uzzah didn't do what God had told him to do. You see, the problem is not the dirt is going to make the ark dirty. The problem is, your hand touching the ark will make it dirty. In the book of Haggai, chapter 1. Haggai, a little prophet. Have you ever read that prophet? Just three chapters in the Old Testament. In the book of Haggai, it's very interesting. It says, sin is passed just by touching. But holiness is not passed that way. You can't pass holiness along... Just by touching, but you can pass sin along in that way. Uzzah did not understand that. He thought, well, I'm not that bad. And friends, that is the problem with all of us. All of us think, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. You know, the reason my wife left me, my wife left me because she just she has some issues with anger. I mean, honestly. I mean, yeah, sometimes I do this and this, but 95%, I'm a good guy. I, I care about people, I help people. Isn't that the way we all think? I preached in prison for two or three years over here at S- Kudani Sule, And you know what, I had a class of 20 to 30 guys. I was teaching them a course every week. And I would ask them, and I was just getting to know them, what's your name, where are you from, all this stuff. I like go in once a week and teach for about an hour. What's your name? Where are you from? How are things going? Etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. I ask them every year what crime are you in for and are you guilty? Do you know how many of the prisoners said they weren't guilty? It was the majority every year. The majority, over 50%. of the the prisoners in my class every single year. Oh, I'm here for, I I shot a man in his house when I was robbing him. Oh, what happened? Yeah, but it wasn't me. It was the other guy with the gun, and he did this, and he did that, and it was this. Oh, okay, just bottom line. Do you think, honestly, that you're innocent? Yes. Do you think it's right for you to be here, or do you think it's unfair? Oh, it's definitely unfair. Every year, over 50% of the criminals in a maximum security prison right here said, It's not right for me to be in this prison every single year. And I met a man named Musa, a Zulu man. And Musa actually, he surprised me because about halfway through the class, he spoke to me after the class and said, I think something's changing. I now see that I'm supposed to be here. I now see that I deserve to be here. I have hope that Moses... That's him, I'm sorry, Moses. I have hope now that Moses actually became a Christian. He eventually was transferred out to another prison. I gave him my phone number. Two other prisoners who got out have called me since then, but Moses hasn't. I hope someday Moses will call me and I can meet with him and see him baptized. But aren't we just like that? We say, oh, I don't deserve to be in this problem. It's really, it's her fault. I mean, sheesh, if you had to live with a woman like that, who can live with her? Man, all the time. You can't live with that. Just like Uzzah. We justify ourselves. We rationalize. Look what happens in verse 8. In verse 8. David is what? He's angry. David is angry. Why? His whole parade stops 10% of the way done. How would you feel? Ladies, imagine you're gonna have 20 people to your house and you have to cook for all of them. Can you do that? You gotta cook for 20 people. You've been preparing for weeks. The day they come, you get up at four in the morning. You start cooking. You got your cabbage. It's over there. You got this. is going. You got that is going. Ah, ah, that one's right. Okay, you're over here. And some neighbors come over and you say, okay, you can help with this. And then one of them says, no, no, we don't do it that way. He's ah, no, 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 no. You just go out of the kitchen. Ah, it's, I'm doing this my way. And you go to all this preparation. And then just as the guests arrive, before you've even eaten, God comes and kills one of the guests. I, I've been working. I, I've been. I, did you understand? David does that. Oh, I planned this national holiday to honor you. And then you went and do this. And now the whole thing's over. Everyone go home. Go home. Everyone thinks I'm a bad king. Do you see? David is more concerned about his own comfort and his own honor. He's concerned for his parade, his holiday, more than the honor of God. Oh, what is this in verse 8? David is angry because... I'm glad the Bible tells us why David was angry. Why was David angry, everyone, come from verse 8? Because of what God did. David is angry at Who? God he's not happy with God apparently David had forgotten what sin is like maybe he had forgotten that he had lied in the past in first Samuel 20 verse 6 1 Samuel 21 verse 2 first Samuel 21 verse 8 21 verse 13 27 verse 10 perhaps David had forgotten that he had lied five times in the past perhaps he had forgotten that he tried to murder a man in chapter 25 verse 33 Perhaps he had forgotten that the Bible commands, Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, kings must not take many wives. And David did take many wives. In fact, in chapter 5, it even says that. He multiplied wives in chapter 5, verse 13. David, have you forgotten what sin is? It sounds, David, like you looked at Saul and you thought, Saul is a sinner. But then you, David, are forgetting what sin is like. Aren't we like that? There's a time, maybe today, you're going to go out here and think, oh, oh, and spiritual things will be very alive to you. And then by Thursday, you're going to be back to your old way of, well, I'm not so bad. I'm a pretty good guy. Boys, have you ever seen that happen to you? Maybe Friday at youth. You come, you study, and you feel like you want to be Christians. And then by Tuesday, when you're back at school, it's all gone. You've forgotten all about it. We are that way, aren't we? David's that way. He forgot what happens because of sin. Saul had just died because of his sin, and David forgot. Brothers and sisters, forgetting is a great danger. One of the reasons you need to be consistently worshiping with God's people is because we are all in danger of forgetting. One week, we're very strong spiritually. We love Jesus. The next week, we get angry because a sister doesn't greet us. Oh, she doesn't greet me. Ah, oh, can you see that? Oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh. No, the previous week, you were so happy. And then this week, what happened? Did you forget the honor and glory of God? Did you forget Christ on the cross? Did you forget his grace to sinners? David did. He'd gone to all this effort... And he wanted all the benefit. Men very easily become accustomed to grace. So that if the grace is taken away, we feel like we deserved it. But grace is what we don't deserve. And when grace is taken away from us, we get angry. Have, is there anyone here who's lost a loved one? And your first response in your soul was anger. To God. Jonathan Edwards died when he was 58 53 years old. He was the greatest theologian philosopher that America has ever produced. He died in the mid 1700s. Is 1756? About 1756. When he died, his wife Sarah, mother of 11 children, Mother of 11 children, wrote, a good God has covered us with a cloud. But, she goes on to write, I kiss the hand that holds the rod. Mother of 11 husband's most brilliant theologian, philosopher, saw a great revival all across America. His books are still being read today. And when he dies at 53, his wife doesn't say, that's not fair. She says, I kiss the hand that holds the rod. We are so, we get so accustomed to grace and goodness. As soon as a little bit's gone, hey! But God is in control and he's done this for his purposes. Look at verse 9. David's anger turns to what in verse 9? It turns from anger to what? To fear. Oh, and that makes sense, David. You should be afraid. What can I do? How can I move the ark? He probably thought, we are all going to die. Listen to this verse from Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, verse 25. The people of Israel say this. Now, therefore, why should we die? If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we will die. For who is there of of all the people of the earth that have heard the voice of the living God speaking to us from the middle of that mountain and have lived? Do you see what they said? At Mount Sinai, when the law was given to the Jews, they said, Who are we if we even hear from God? We're going to die. They got it right. Are you with me? They understood God is so high and glorious. If you even hear his voice. How can you live? Again in that same story. Moses uh, records. That God said to him. If you see the face of God. You will die. If you see God you die. If you hear God you die. That's the biblical view of God. Not some little bellboy Who goes and gets you a coat. I feel a little thirsty. Let me just turn to prayer. Oh, get me some coke, please. Ah, oh, here it is. That's a common view in this city of the God who sits in the heavens. Groups that call themselves churches that preach a prosperity message. I heard it just last night in my home, blasting across the road with their speakers He was shouting out, in the name of Jesus, prosperity is mine. I heard those exact words last night while I was on the phone. In the name of Jesus, prosperity is mine. They think that God is just a little servant, a waiter standing there. Yes, what would you like? Oh, my life's getting a little hot. Why don't you give me some Coke? Make sure there's ice in it. I like ice in my Coke. That's a false religion. You'll never get to heaven thinking about a God like that. Uzzah reaches out his hand and touches the ark. He dies, and David is angry and then terrified. But why didn't David look at the scripture from the beginning? Now here's what I want to surprise you with. Because Numbers 7, verse 9, listen to this. Numbers 7, verse 9 said, When you move the ark, have the caliphites picked up on poles so that no hand ever touches the ark after it was built. No hand would ever touch it. Numbers 7, verse 9. Now, why is that important? Listen to this. Because I only found one verse in the Bible. Only one. Do you you know how many verses are in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? There's a lot of, hundreds of verses. I found one verse Numbers 7, verse 9 that says, the Kohathites will pick it up and bear it on their shoulders. There were other verses that said the Kohathites carry holy things, but none that talked about the ark specifically carrying it on their shoulders. Which means, watch this David could say, well, it's only one verse. It's not like they killed anyone. Can you see him saying that? He could say, but I didn't kill anyone. I didn't do a big thing. Yeah, it was just one verse. How many people do the same thing with women pastors? And there's half a dozen verses in the Bible that say women should not be pastors. But how many people do the same thing? There's five, six, seven verses explicitly saying women should not be pastors. Here's David with one verse from the law. They said, but we made a new cart. We didn't carry it. We didn't touch it. We just put it on the cart. God said, your cart was not what I asked for. I didn't ask you. I didn't say when I came down from heaven. I didn't say, I need some men who are very clever. I need some good inventors. Aren't there any inventors out there among the vendors? Are there any zoo inventors? I need a few Afrikaans inventors. I need to come and invent a good religion. God didn't ask for inventors. He asked for garden boys who will do what they're told. He said, I just want a steward who will be faithful with what I've given. You don't need to invent anything. Your job and my job as a pastor is simply to discover what does the Bible say and then I deliver it. Exactly like it says. I do not want to invent. I want to be faithful. And godly Christians have that same desire. Friends, if we saturate our minds with the Bible, then the first thought that comes into our mind on any subject is the Bible. Let me ask you some of these things. Is the first thought in your mind a Bible verse or a conclusion from the Bible? The death penalty, is it good or bad? Don't answer yes or no. I'm just asking, in your mind, is the first thing that comes to your mind a Bible verse or an idea from the Bible? If not, go back to the Bible because the Bible talks about that. Spanking children. Spanking children. Does the first thought that comes into your mind, is it a Bible verse or an idea from the Bible? Husbands loving their wives and women obeying their husbands is the first thing that comes into your mind, an idea from the Bible. Economics. Taxes. Homosexuality. The doctrine of hell. Creation or evolution. Climate change. In all of these issues, is the first thing that comes to your mind a verse from the Bible? Or is it some idea that you heard on television? David's great problem was he wasn't saturated with the Bible. But what's interesting, and we're not going to cover it because I have to tell you now. I told you 2 Chronicles 13 tells us the story. 2 Chronicles 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 15 says, listen to this. David... Search the law, and he found number seven, verse nine. So three months later, when they moved the ark from Obed Edom's house in verse eleven, David searched the law and had Kohathites carry the ark. He did it. It cost a man's life, but he obeyed the Bible. He got it right. After someone had died, the holiday stopped. The ark is going to stay there for three months, but then David gets it right. Now in the season of blessing, David had this holiday and think of all the work they did. They had the cart, they had the people, they had all the preparations. And I just want you to understand this in closing. Here's the application. Here it is. I just want to bring it right down, right for everyone to take away. Every child can get this. Everyone keep this. This is not too hard for you. No matter how hard you work, no matter what carts you make or holidays you plan, no matter how sincere you are, no matter what good ideas you come up with, God will still judge every sinner with death. That's the point. But on the cross... Jesus was made sin in the place of sinners. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. That's it. He was made sin in the place of sinners. Can I just illustrate this the way I did it with the youth on oh, Friday? Colin, can you guys come over? Let me close with this illustration. I think it helped the youth. Maybe you it help you guys. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to talk about how to illustrate Jesus and I' have Colin to illustrate the sinner. That's you. So you're all this guy. And this is going to illustrate the Lord Jesus. And, and what happens is, when the sinner realizes that he's a sinner and God must punish him, he either dies and goes to hell, or he reaches out for Christ. You see that? Now this handshake is illustrating faith trust in Christ. It's a reaching out for Christ. And what happened on the cross was all of his sin, imagine it traveling down his arm, all of his guilt, all the guilt coming right down and traveling right up into our Lord Jesus. He's perfect and pure and undefiled and totally separated from sinners. But on the cross, there was a union, a joining, where all of the guilt came out of the sinner And it came on the sinless one, but it didn't stop there. Does anyone know what happens next? Because if all the guilt left and went to him, that's not enough. What else has to happen? Can anyone tell me? Uh, Kalani? Jesus has received the sin. Okay, explain. I just need a closer phrase. You're you're right. What what does Jesus do? He gives his
1: goodness to you. That's it.
0: Did you hear that clearly? He. Gives his goodness to him. It's a perfect exchange where he gives all of his guilt to this one, and he gives all of his goodness to that one. That's not in this story. All that's in the story is he's going to die. That's all that's in this story. But you are supposed to be like someone who just ate a, a, a spoonful of salt. If you eat a spoonful of salt, what will you run to get? You're supposed to be like somebody just with a spoonful of salt, a spoonful of curry powder. Straight. What are you running to get? You're running to get water. And now I want all of you to run and grab and let all of your guilt, believe that all of your guilt was placed on Christ and all of his goodness comes this way. If you don't give him all your guilt, you go to hell. If he doesn't give you all of your goodness, you go to hell. It's got to be both ways question, when, when did that exchange happen? When did all of your guilt go there? And when did all of his goodness come here? Well, actually, only when you believe. Only when we believe did that exchange happen. And I'm asking you right now, when, when does that really happen in your soul that all of your guilt was transferred to Christ and all of his goodness was transferred that's the point of the sermon. Uzzah died because he thought, I, "I don't need, I don't need any living water. I don't need to reach out for anything. I'm a good guy." And what he needed to see was, if God's justice takes its course, we all die. Let's close our eyes.